The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. America's outrage at the border, solving immigration, a discussion on whether laws should be zero tolerance, and seeking consistency on executive orders and taxes. Irishman stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This, of course, is the show exclusive to the Blaze where you come for the accent, but you stay for the principles. Today's going to be an interesting show because I have to be honest with you, I've been covering your country, your politics, your elections, your culture for nearly 20 years now. Um, I've been watching it from afar, I've been seeing different things. My first election was uh, Bush versus Gore, and that was a, what an introduction to your politics and to your constitution that was. But I don't think any week in the history that I've been following it has been this bad. So I want to today address the outrages, because this week started off, it's been so frustrating, been honest with you. Because I've been dying to talk to you because there's been so much stuff said this week that needs to be addressed. And it needs to be addressed in a head-on way. We need to ask honest questions. So this week started off with an op-ed from Laura Bush, the former First Lady of the United States. Now before I I get to her op-ed and I ask her some questions... I've got to be honest with you, I, I don't have anything in common with the Bush family... I don't have any policy or principles really in common with them. But one of the reasons I always respected George and and Laura to a different extent was when they got America in one aspect. They got America that when you're in politics, it's a service. You're serving your country. You go do your service, whether you're, if you're going for presidency, it's four or eight years. You leave and go home. I always respected them for this. Even when people were saying, why, why why, won't George Bush come out and say something under Obama? I was like, I respect him for not saying anything. You know, he's back to just being an average person. He's no longer this, he's no longer President Bush. He did his time. He's now back in Texas. Just leave him alone. His opinion counts the same as yours as anyone else does. I always, I took heat for that saying that, by the way, but I always respected it. This week, Laura Bush came out and was saw some of the pictures of what happened on the border and is outraged. She's saying this is in, in cruel punishment. So, here's my questions for you. First of all, why write the op-ed now? Mrs. Bush, why, why now? Why didn't you write this op-ed under Obama? Why didn't you deal with it and make sure it never happened when it, you were the first lady? If you're so passionate about it. Because this policy isn't a new policy. Is it cruel? Because she said it's cruel when parents are separated from their kids. Just asking a question, honest questions. Is it cruel when parents are separated from their children because one or two of the parents are in prison for committing a crime? Is that cruel? 
Then she talks about, you know, the solutions that hopefully they come together. One of the frustrating things for me as someone who believes in the Constitution and, and, and federalism, that great idea of federalism, is everyone looks to Congress or to the president to solve this problem. What about the states? Why are they not going, hey, step up. It's your time to step up. We'll come back to Laura Bush because she also said that it's 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 cruel when you have zero tolerance policy and crime. We'll come back to that later on in the show because that's something I want to talk to you about in a very factual way. But that wasn't the only thing that happened this week. So you had a certain host on MSNBC crying this week. Now I'm not going to mock someone for for crying because I actually believe those who you know who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. So. People like me should not mock anybody else when they're crying, even if they are potentially fake tears. Because I've done crying. I've cried in doing speeches. I've cried behind this microphone uh, on different issues. I've cried on Facebook Live videos, especially when it, you know when it comes to me, my immigration case. But here's the problem I have with it. The questions that need to be asked. I don't mock people for crying, but why now? Like, if you're so emotional about this issue, because we'll get to the facts of the issue in a minute, but if you're so emotional about this issue, if this is me, if this is, if I'm this purse host on MSNBC, I would cry if I meant it, but then I would go, I need to do something important. I need to have, what's that word? Oh yes, credibility with my audience, with the people who listen to me, who look at me, that I would say... This is such a horrific policy, and I'm outraged by it, but, but here's the thing. I apologize. I owe you an apology. Because for whatever reason, whether it was ignorance or whether it was politics, I, didn't, I ignored this, or I couldn't, didn't know about this. And it's on me to know about what's going on to do my job right. And I owe you an apology for not raising this horrific treatment prior to today. Where was that? No, no, no. We just, we just have these tears. And then everyone talks, well, they're all fake tears or they're real tears. And this becomes the the back and forth online by her defenders and her people who don't like her. Where is the credibility in the media today? Then we had Martha McCallum on Fox News who thought, I don't know whether it was Martha's idea. I don't know who Martha is. I don't know people around her. But I don't know who thought with this great idea. Hey, you know what we need? America needs more of this. What we need is we're going to be fair and balanced. We're going to have, we're going to put one from the left. We're going to put one from the right. And who can we find? Can we find some sane, good, honest people out there? No, let's not do that. Let's just stir the pot a bit more. Let's get a, I don't know, who'd be good? Oh, let's get a strategist from the Democratic Party. And and who can we get from the quote-unquote right that will just, you know, let's not have people speaking to the folks. Let's not have people saying what people say on the ground. Now, let's get someone equally outrageous on the right. Let's get, oh, you know that guy that worked for Trump that's fired? What's that guy? The, oh, yes, the guy who who potentially beat up a report. Yeah, let's get him, Corey Lewandowski. Let's get him. Because they represent what America says right now. Yeah, Because what the Democratic strategist and what Corey Lewandowski says, that's what people say on the street. And this segment went as typically as you would. The whole news was Corey Lewandowski going womp womp. That's what everyone focused on. I don't want to focus on that. I want to focus in the 10 seconds prior to that that made my head explode. That made me want to scream. 
The democratic strategist, you know, because when you're a strategist in the Democratic Party and when you, you know, you love playing victims, what you do is, you know, you find the most, the person and the, the story that will really tug on the heartstrings to make your point. Who did the Democrat, what story did the Democratic strategist read? She read a story about a 10-year-old boy, I think it was a boy, with Down syndrome who was separated from her parents. Really to pull on your heartstrings, to pull on you to go, that is outrageous. A 10-year-old with Down syndrome should never be separated from their kids. That is what a democratic strategist, a democratic strategist used as the pull on your heartstrings. That made me explode, and I'll tell you why. Because where the hell is this democratic strategist coming up with these stories? Why is it not using the same story for when... Remember when Iceland all of a sudden has eradicated Down syndrome? It wasn't through some medical breakthrough. It is through abortion. Where is the outrage for that? If it's a Down syndrome kid is good enough to use for your pull on the heartstrings border policy, where was your outrage? Or why are you silent on abortion? Why are you silent on abortion in places like Britain where 9 out of 10 babies who have Down syndrome are aborted every year? But that isn't the end of it. Because this week has been a competition between everyone on social media, everyone who is outspoken on politics from the left, everyone who wants to be in the media, everyone who wants to be in politics, talking about how these are these camps, these camps are bad. And we'll get to whether the camps are bad in a sec when we actually get to the, the when I talk to you about real immigration issues and give you the full story of what's going on right now. But they're comparing them to Nazi Germany and FDR. It's like, who can say the most outrageous bullcrap to get their biggest ratings? Who can get the most retweets? Oh, I can top that. I can get more outrageous. That is what is happening in your culture right now. On both sides, by the way. Let's get one thing straight. Even if you think these camps are the worst camps of all time, trust me, they're nowhere near the internment camps of FDR. And Nazi Germany. And especially not Nazi Germany. Nazi Germany was a horrific, evil, vile place. You want to stop these concentration camps? If that's what you think they are down the south? It's very simple. If people don't come to your country illegally, you don't have them. It's not like America when, you know, and Donald Trump and Congress went, hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go to get people in other countries and round them up and put them in a concentration camp. That's not what happened. That's what happened under FDR in World War II and Nazi Germany. But here's the other thing. This is why, and, and I will be honest, this was more by people on the right when I used to be growing up. I used to say FDR was not a great president. FDR was a SOB, a piece of crap. And I would get castrated ever since I was a, speaking out in politics. Everybody, you can't say that. You know, I'm, I'm shocked you would say that, John. I'm shocked you would say that. You have so much reverence for America, and you, you openly always say that if it wasn't for America in World War II, you would be speaking German right now, yeah? And you always salute the troops. Why don't you salute FDR? Have you read what FDR did? Well, he won the war. No, the military won the war. 
generals won the war. The American troop, by their blood, sweat, and sacrifice, coming over to mainland Europe, won the war. He was just president. And everything he did made him a piece of crap. And I don't use insults. If you're a long-term listener, you know I don't do insults. I share them, spare them for the really, truly bad people in this world. That was what FDR was. But everyone hails him as this, well, he won the war. He was a great president. He's a top five president of all time. And now we're like, well, what about his camps? Everyone like, you know, these camps are like, you know, FDR in America. They're, they're his concentration camp, the rounding up of Japanese citizens. Can we have some context? Then we had, which made my, just anyone who has a, a sane head, this should made their head explode. You know Chuck Schumer, the, the head of the Democratic Party and the, the great body of the Senate? You know what he's been giving out about all since Donald Trump was elected? Donald Trump's a dictator. Donald Trump, oh my God, you know, the outreach from the, the Oval Office, he's encroaching on our powers. He's a dictator light. We need to stop him. This week came out and went, you know what? Donald Trump can solve this by a, I think the quote was a stroke or a flick of his pen. So the guy who, for the last 500 days, has been, Donald Trump's a dictator, Donald Trump Donald Trump is a bad person, we can't give him any more power, we must stand up to him. When it comes to a real hard issue, oh no, this, he, could, he could solve it with a, with a flick of his, or a stroke of his pen. Huh. But I want to ask you one last question about the outrage that happened this week. And this is a story close to home. Everyone was going, stripping the people from their babies, you know, separating parents from their kids. Sorry, I've got a bit of a flu today. Everyone was outraged by this. And again, I'm going to talk about the actual issues in, it in the next segment. And I'm going to name names as well, by the way. Everyone was outraged by it. Yet, there were people who were either silent... Or in certain quarters, downright mocked people like me a couple of months ago. When people like me were worried about a baby called Alfie Evans. A young, beautiful baby boy who his parents wanted to do everything they could to let him live. Who wanted to get him a second opinion. Who dared have that audacity to say, I want a second opinion. There is a hospital in the Vatican willing to treat my son to see if we can, they can help him. And the state said, no. He has a right to die with dignity. That was ripping in the most cruel way. And a permanent way. A baby from the parents separating a baby from their parents. And where were the media? The media were either silent or mocking people like me who said, no, they have a right. They are his parents. If they want a second opinion, they have a right to it. They control, he, they own effectively their child. It is their child. It is their responsibility. People like me were mocked when I went to Liverpool outside Alder Hay Hospital. But now those same people who mocked her were silent on Alfie Evans all of a sudden want to become the moral arbiters and the outrage about this issue. 
It's a little hard. But I want to finish up this segment by saying to anyone who is involved in your politics, use the media as a lesson. I know I get mocked and laughed at and and people don't see the big deal when I say to you, you know the number one most important thing in your life? With the exception of like God and and your faith, if if you're a believer, is your credibility. I know people mock and they go, roll their eyes when I talk about the founding fathers being amazing men. That your founding fathers were amazing men because they got us. They were well-read, they were studious, they were principled, but they also understood what was key. When your founding father signed off the Declaration of Independence, they said, we pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. They knew one word in that sentence was so key, so important, that it needed emphasis. They knew life was important because they said, if you read the top of the Declaration of Independence, they said, that is your first right from God. They knew fortunes were important because they weren't poor people. They were the rich and the millionaires and billionaires and the bourgeoisie of the day. They were the landowner, the greedy capitalist. They understood the right to keep what you earned, to pursue your happiness. We knew that was important to them. But one honor was so, one word was so critical that it needed that bit of oomph sacred honor the reason i say to you the lesson you can learn from the media this week is do not be like them in any dealings that you have because why do the media have no credibility to the vast majority of people on this issue that when they see rachel maddow cry they roll their eyes when they see the democratic strategists and martha mccallum and Corey lewandowski they just roll their eyes a lot of them on on both sides why For a large chunk of people, because ever since day one, it's just been get Trump. Just let's, you know, the minute that uh, the inauguration was over, there was impeachment papers. There was riots. We need to get down with them. F them. Down with them. The agenda is clear for anyone with a rational mind. They want to impeach them. They don't care what the issue is. They will ratchet it up to get their impeachment. They have no credibility. They have no, you know questioning in them they have no let's just sit back and let's call and ball a ball and a strike a strike there is no idea of that in their culture they just want to get him they have no credibility with you if there's anything you can learn from this week and from how the media has acted since donald trump has been elected it is that your credibility matters and that honor is sacred and that you should guard yours in your individual life with your life It is so important. It is so critically important that when it comes to it, that when it comes to the day that you have to talk about these issues, that you have that credibility, that when you're talking about them, people who you're talking to aren't rolling your eyes going, but you did this, but you said this, but you were silent. It is so important. Your credibility And it's why I am who I am. I'm not here as a cheerleader for any man or woman. I am not here to promote the Republican Party or the Democratic Party or the Libertarian Party or any party. I am here to talk to you about principles and to promote in every way I can why your country is exceptional. Why your country is better historically than any other nation in the history of the world. Why you change the world. 
to remind you and to celebrate with you each and every week why the idea of America is exceptional. And it is what the world is desperately needing right now. The world is going towards tyranny and a dark, dark tyranny. We have the solution. You have the solution. You have the roadmap to make this world a better place. It is called the idea of America that was enshrined in the Declaration of Independence and then went on to the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. That may make me a damned optimist. That may make me the most optimistic and foolish person going. I don't care. I am here to talk to you about principles that are self-evident, that are true, that were true when your founders were born, were true when your fathers wrote the Declaration of Independence in 1776, the Constitution in 1787, the Bill of Rights in 1791. They were true then and they are true today. When we come back, I want to talk to you about immigration. I don't want to talk to you about the air rage. I want to actually talk to you about the issue that's going on right now. And I'm going to tell you who's at fault. Because it's not just the left. It's not just the right. It's not Donald Trump. I'm going to tell you everyone and what has caused this issue. Don't go anywhere, America. We'll be right back. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn. On the Blaze Radio Network. The Glenn Beck Program. Listen carefully. Okay. Okay? Mm -hmm. There is no difference between a man and a woman. None. Zero. Got it. So if you were to put women in charge of... Just take it one at a time. Build a wall between that. (laughs) Okay. We need more women in the workplace. Why? Because it will be better. Do you think this country would be in the mess that it's in if it were run by women? Answer the question. I'm not going to ask you, you misogynist. (laughs) The Glenn Beck Program. Freedom's Disciple On Demand. On the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. As always, I'm pretty active on social media. Uh, Twitter, at Freedom Disciple. On Facebook, Jonathan Dunn 58 Drop me a follow. Drop me a message. Tell me why you like the show, why you dislike the show. Um, have a conversation with me. I'm always, always there to have conversations, both publicly and privately. I'm not hard to find. So let's talk about the immigration issue, shall we? Let's actually talk about why everything is happening right now, why it's happening. Well, the truth of the matter is there is plenty of blame to go around on this issue on all sides. You know, I've seen a lot of commentary in the media talking about, especially on right-wing media, how that this is all the Democrats' fault. The Democrats, the Democrats, the Democrats. This is what the Democrats want. The truth of the matter is, both parties want what's going on right now. The truth is, both like some type and some form of illegal immigration. The Democratic Party want it because they like the votes. They like the, the, the votes that come in and they like it as a divisive issue. And the longer this continues to go on, the better it is for both parties. The Republican Party like this because they're in bed with the Chamber of Commerce. And I know everyone goes crazy when I say this. (gasps) No, you can't say it. 
That's true. They're in bed with the Chamber of Commerce, and they like the cheap labor. Until America gets to the grips with this, you'll never solve this issue, and they'll keep on winning. They'll ratchet this issue up every year, every two years, every three years, every four years, to get you all divided and hating on each other, and for the Republicans to say the Democrats suck, and for the Democrats to say the Republicans suck, and there's a reason to vote for me. When both parties have caused this. Everyone loves to talk about, well, we need comprehensive immigration reform. We need to to talk about our laws. The laws on the books. If America enforced all the laws that's on its books right now, where you didn't have a new bill, you didn't have some new law, 99% of immigration is solved. You may not like this solving that it happens, but it's solved. You don't need new laws on the books, per se. You just follow the laws that are on current statutes. The laws are very clear. The laws are crystal clear. If you violate the terms of your visa, whatever visa it is, you will be deported. Let me give you some examples. If uh, somehow I found a a chunk of money tomorrow and I went, you know what, I'm going to go on a long vacation to America. And I paid for my flight over and, you know, when you go to true, you know, immigration, when I go through it in Dublin Airport, because, you know, Dublin Airport's one of the advantages of traveling from Dublin Airport. And it's one of the reasons Dublin Airport actually is successful, because you have people like from Paris and England flying into Dublin to fly to the States is you get pre-cleared. We do immigration in Dublin Airport. We don't have to fly over to New York or wherever airport you're flying into and then do immigration there. You're pre-cleared. So when you land, you literally just act like a normal American citizen. You get off your plane, you get your bags and you leave. It saves a lot of time. But when I go to um, immigration over here, I get asked questions. Where are you going? What, what's the purpose of your visits? Where are you staying? You have to provide an address of where you're staying. And if you're like moving around, I've always been upfront and honest. I've always had printed off all the bookings. Went, I'm staying here from these dates here, from this dates here, from this dates here, from this dates here, my flights, and I fly out on this date. You have to provide that. But let's say I went, hey, you know what? I had a load of money and I'm going to stay in America for 90 days. I'm going to travel the country. I'm going to go visit all 50 states and maybe give a a free speech in all 50 states. And then at the end of the the three months, I said, you know what? America really owes me. I've done all this talking and I I do all this show and I, I do all this voluntary work. And America really owes me. You know what? Screw America's immigration laws. I'm going to stay illegally. Well, I do that. It's not like I can say, well, I didn't know what the consequences are, because it's clear and and crystal clear. You violate your visa terms, which my visa term will be a 90-day stay, because that's the max you can stay on a holiday without going to another visa. 90 days is what I can stay in your country. 90 days. If I violate that, guess what? I'm deported. And I can be barred from entering your country for 10 years. One of the questions that you get asked in the when you go through immigration is, have you ever been refused or denied access to America? Or admittance, I think is the word they use, admittance to America. And then if you did overstay your visa and you did get deported, you will always have to say yes. And it's not a guarantee that you get in even after you serve your 10 years, I believe. Because you go to an interview, I would say, going, well, why are you going this time? You overstayed the last time. Why should we let you in this time? Why should we trust you? These are understandable questions. 
The same with a student visa. If all of a sudden I, you know, inherited a million dollars and I was so desperate to get to America, people have said to me, why don't you get a student visa? I could if I had money. And they paid for, you know, a three, four-year degree. And I had to, because you can only work a certain amount of hours and you got to pay for your board and you got to pay for school and you got to pay for books and stuff. If I did that. And then after the three years, I went, well, I really like it here and I want to stay here. You know what? Screw America's immigration laws. I really fit in here. You know, America owes me. Look at all the work I've done. And then I go look for work and they find me. I can be deported. And again, denied access or admittance to America for 10 years. These are the laws on the books. If I cross the border and I get caught, I know I've entered a country illegally. I can be deported and denied access. This is common sense. Every country operates some level of this type of policy. You have the laws in the books. What you haven't had for the longest time, because everyone wants to use this issue as a political football, is the will to enforce those laws. Because both sides are corrupt. Both sides want some type of illegal immigration. Both sides have an agenda. Now, I'm sure some of you right now are going, well, that may be some Republicans like Lindsey Graham and John McCain, sure. But, like, there's conservatives like Ted Cruz and Mike Lee who don't want this. Well, they are just as to blame as anyone else. Because let me tell you why. The problem with a lot of conservatives, quote-unquote, is for whatever reason, and I don't know the reason why, they don't ever seem to want to highlight legal immigration. You know, when the left and the Democrats and the media are calling you anti-immigrant, racists, bigots, xenophobes, surely there should be some conservative strategist out going there. No, what we need to do is we need to highlight what we are actually for. We need to highlight legal immigration. We need to highlight those who have come to America illegally and achieved the American dream legally. If they wanted to, there's plenty of things conservatives could do to say, look, we don't want illegal immigration, but we want to make legal immigration easier. We want it more streamlined, which would be a great idea, by the way, because from an employer point of view, just let me give you some insight knowledge of this as someone who went through your process or was starting to go through your process. It isn't exactly cheap. You know, when Glenn offered me the job, obviously lawyers, you know, the amount that they charge per day, per day are, so you're never exactly sure how much it's going to cost because they have paperwork to fill out. And if they ask more questions, they'll have more paperwork to fill out. But you're talking at least $10,000 for Glenn to pay out when he offered me that job. At least $10,000. The other thing was... Glenn needed someone to do the job I was going to do behind the scenes. Now, he, to, for me to get that job, for me to get that opportunity, it was going to take several months. So the employer, Glenn, either had two choices. Either I can hire someone from America or you can hire someone needing to do the job straight away. Or you got to wait a couple of months for me. Glenn decided, for whatever reason, he went through his process. 
So there are cases that you can make kind of going, look, we want legal immigration and in certain cases, especially some of the temporary workers, you know, where they're there to pick lettuce and they're pick fruit and doing things where they're only there for like three months. You can streamline that process and make it more efficient where it's quicker and it doesn't cost as much lawyer hours so that it's cheaper for the employers that you have it if you need that work. You can make it cheaper and quicker. Like, you look at some of the people who go through other visas, like the marital visa. That costs a lot of money for married, just because they married someone who's not American. And they actually are legit. I'm not saying married for a visa, just to get there and then divorce a couple of years later. I'm saying actually go through the process. I know someone who went through the process. A dear friend of mine married someone and went through the process. It's not easy, it's not quick, and it's not cheap. You could say we are for legal immigration and make the case of how we want to streamline it, how we want to make a service that is uh, to really good for genuine, honest people. I've often said one of the greatest things under when it was Obama. Remember when a couple of years ago when Obama was president and one of the State of the Unions, he had a dreamer in the galley with Michelle Obama. Remember that? And that got all the attention of the media. I said behind the scenes to some people I know on the Hill, I went, you know what I would have done? As a conservative, I would have had someone sit with me who was a legal immigrant to highlight, this is the person we want. And heck, it doesn't have to be a person who's white. doesn't even have to be a person who's straight. It doesn't even have to be a person who's voted for you. But just to highlight, this is who we are for. We are for the rule of law. But the other thing is, For whatever reason, conservatives don't seem to want to be on this issue, don't have any interest, or don't care about it. Ted Cruz knows about my situation. I've met Ted Cruz, and I've asked him briefly, in a very brief conversation. I've spoken to Rafael Cruz, saying to him, why don't you ever highlight, why doesn't your son or anyone else ever highlight the issue of legal immigration? I never get answers. Never get an answer. I've reached out to conservative media outlets going, hey, you do a great job, but why don't you ever highlight legal immigration? Why don't you ever highlight and share the story of, you know, the pain? And it doesn't even have to be my story. There are plenty of stories like mine where you highlight the fact that there are people who want to get into your country who can't. How come we're never called dreamers? How come we're never highlighted? How come all the people who are waiting in line to try and do the right thing are never even mentioned, let alone highlighted or given a fancy name? When I was in the Blaze, when I was in America last September, I visited the Blaze. You probably saw or heard me. You saw some pictures. One of the things, because I was on Pat Gray's show, Pat is awesome. And Pat, one of the things when we spoke about my issue, he said, you know, that's just not right. We have to do something about that. And I went, well, look, if there's anything I can do to help, not even making it, to, not looking for a visa for myself, but to, to try and, you know, offer the other side of the argument. He's like, we got to send this to Mike Lee, see what Mike Lee can do. Now, I don't know if he, if Mike Lee answered Pat, but they didn't reach out. He's like, we're going to reach out and see if we can do. And I went, you tell Mike, if the, I don't want it for me, but it would be great if it happened for me. But if I can help counter the narrative or if they have any questions, let me know. I reached out to his producer. They never heard a reply. Now, I don't know if Pat heard from him directly or just said, I'll look at it or whatever it was. But I never heard anything. That was last September. Conservatives either don't want to care about this issue, don't care about this issue, don't see the, the, the need to highlight this issue. 
That is the sad truth of immigration in America right now. This issue has been going on for 30 years. Actually, to be quite honest, 32 years, since 1986, the amnesty of Ronald Reagan. If you want to solve this issue, here's how you solve it. Enforce the laws on the books. Enforce the laws that are on the books. Secure the southern border so that no bad people can get across the border. And then have a sit down with the Democrats and say, okay, you want more what let's just give them the best intentions of the world. Let's give them the benefit that they would never give us. You want more immigration. You want to help those who are poor in other countries. Okay, I get that. We want to do that as well. There's people who are living in this country and around the world that need help. Coming to America, let's give them that opportunity. How do we do it legally? How do we increase the visa numbers? And have a conversation. I'm not going to get into numbers of what you should and shouldn't do. That's more an honest an opinion for an American people. And go to the American people with your plan. And get support or get them to reject it. And then come up with a new plan. But do things through the books. Because what you have right now is a horrific situation on the southern border where you are empowering criminals. Because this was one of the other things I heard this week. Well, you know, if you don't need passports, just if, if, if an adult turns up with a kid and it says it's its kid, totally fine. These double standards really pee me off. Because if I went to, if I, let's say I was a normal 34-year-old and maybe had a wife or partner or, and I had a kid. And I said, you know, for whatever reason, let's just say I was traveling by myself. And I went, you know what, I'm bringing my kid to Disneyland. And I went to Dublin Airport. And I said, look, don't need to worry about it. Just my kid. Take my word for it. And I didn't have passport. You'd laugh at me and say, sorry, you're not getting into our country. I could kick, I could scream. You'd remove, you'd arrest and remove me from the area. The double standards are unbelievable. But you're putting kids in danger. Because there are gangs on the southern border. There are coyotes. You're putting, you, you say you care about the kids. And the Republicans are just as bad because they're silent on this issue. You should care about the kids on your southern border. You should not want... The idea of any parent or any normal human being who is sane, who is not just about the politics, of going, there are people on our southern border now, young kids, young families, in the hands of gangs. And knowing that how gangs operate, that at one point in time, when they're settling in the country, the gang's going to come... You owe me something. I got you into this country illegally. It's time to pay up. I need you to carry a parcel for me. I need you to meet someone. I need you to give someone money. I need you to pay me money. They know when that knock is coming. And you're okay with that? There is blame on all sides on this issue. This issue needs to end. And on my fear is because conservatives like Ted Cruz and Mike Lee and all the rest there never highlight legal immigration or never would come forward with a plan I just suggested of enforcing the laws, build a wall, and then maybe talking about streamlining the visas or more increasing the visa numbers and having that discussion, what's going to happen is there's going to be another amnesty. And that's going to send a message to the world, 
of, well, if you get to America, this is what the message of amnesty sends. It says, you get to America and you play by the rules, quote-unquote, and you don't get caught, after a period of time, you'll be made legal. Why go? Tr- why would anyone pay $10,000 at least and wait six months and then potentially be refused when you know if you get there, you don't get caught, and you work, you don't pay taxes, you can send money home, eventually you're going to be made legal anyway. Why would anybody be stupid enough to go through the legal process? I want to finish up by sharing one last criticism, I guess. When I criticize the immigration system in America, everyone loves to say, because I don't speak about this very often at all, is, well, John, you're living in Ireland. You don't know what it's like to live in poverty. You know, if you lived on the poverty that these people live, you, you'd, you'd cross the border too. No, I wouldn't. And yes, I do live in a, in a similar version of that poverty. You know, what I do has hurt me personally for the last seven years. You know, what I say behind this microphone to each and every one of you each week is not popular. What I write about is not popular. It's not popular in America, let alone in a socialist utopia like Ireland. Everyone loves to think they know my life. In many ways, my life sucks. I just tend not to focus on why it sucks. I have not had a full-time job in seven years. My income changes from month to month, but the average month, I live off about $500. If it wasn't for my mother, I'd be living on the streets. Now, I'm not claiming to be some super intelligent person with some super set of skills that is invaluable to any economy. But I'm a hard worker, I'm a grafter, I'm willing to do anything. I have a lot of experience. And you telling me that that's normal to be unemployed without a full-time job for seven years? Are you telling me, I don't know how much it is, but are you telling me that there isn't at least some of the reason I haven't had interviews and haven't had job success is because of who I am? Because when you Google my name, I'm pretty much what comes up. Freedom's Disciple talking about freedom, talking about leaving people alone, talking about God. Are you telling me that hasn't played into some part of it? Again, I'm not playing the victim. I live in a country, and the chances are, if you're a betting man, I will always be stuck in this country. And the truth is, I have no hope of it changing. Seven years without a full-time job could turn into 14 years without a full-time job. I'm at a point in my time where I'm in my mid-30s. I should be thinking about settling down, maybe having kids, buying a house. How could I ever do any of that without a full-time job? Living off of $500 a month. So those who love to mock me and say, well, you don't understand. Trust me, I understand what it's like to live in poverty and have no hope. I live it. I just happen to be lucky. I have someone who is willing to let me have a place to stay without paying any rent because I can't afford it. I'm blessed, and I tend to focus on why I'm blessed, not why my life sucks, and do my best. Don't judge other people without knowing their situation. It's not just Mexicans or Hondurans or South Americans who live in poverty. Anyone can live in poverty. I understand the need to want to have a better life. But you have to do things the right way. 
and you if you think by having illegal immigration you're helping those poor people you're not you're putting them in danger for potentially the rest of their lives you're putting them at the beck and call of an msm ms13 gang member or another gang member or a coyote who might need a favor who might need money you want to solve the problems america solve them force the laws that are on the books build a wall and then talk about legal amount of visas, maybe streamlining the service or increasing the number of visas. When we come back, I want to ask you some questions about law. Don't go anywhere, America. We'll be right back. You're listening to Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Disciple on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. I want to talk to you about law and the comment Laura Bush made this week. But before I do, I just want to have a sidebar with you for a second, and I just want to salute someone. Um, I'm sure by now, if you're listening to this show on Saturday or Sunday, you've heard some some tragic news that the world lost Charles Krauthammer this week. You know, there's a lot of people who know him and a lot of people who will, you know, salute him far better. But I wanted to salute him for a couple of reasons. One, because I'll be honest with you, I didn't agree with Charles Krautheimer on an awful lot of things. But that's not unusual if you're a long-term listener. There's not many people I would say I agree with on a lot of things with, especially in the media. But I always admired him. I always admired him because even when I disagreed with him, there were two things he always did very well that I always respected. One was the way he presented arguments. I never really saw him get angry. I never saw him nasty. I never saw him insult people. I always just saw a man who was trying his best with his capabilities to make the best and most cognitive argument that he could and I think in this world especially in this world that we live in in 2018 that's very rare it's very rare and the second thing I always admired about him was even with I don't have to if you you know if you're a long-term listener you know I don't ever want you to think the way I think I want to question you I want to challenge you I want to help you find where you stand on the issue and make the best case I can possible Sometimes you'll agree, sometimes you'll disagree. But one of the things I always respected about Charles was when I'd listen to his arguments, even the arguments I most vehemently disagreed with, I always left kind of going, look, I disagree with you because of A, B, C, and D. But I always understood his point of view. I could see his train of thought. I could see his logic of how he was joining the dots. I disagreed with some critical element and we went off in different opinions, but I always respected that he made the case. He was a great mind. But lastly, he's an inspiration for so many. And he's an inspiration for anyone who is looking for an inspiration in this world. Not because of who he was or what he did or how he spoke, but the way he lived his life. You know, here's a guy who 
probably could have had every reason to be bitter or to be despondent or to be beaten up about life. Guy who's in college jumps off a, a diving board and is paralyzed or partially paralyzed in a large chunk of his body. He still that didn't stop him. He still graduated with his class. You know, you're thinking, how could he, someone like Charles, with his limitations, be a doctor? He went and bid one any, being one anyway. You know, if you're if you've been around the media, you would kind of say, well, look, you know, we're 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 putting this show together on Fox News, and we want people who are columnists to come in, and you know, just people in a wheelchair. You know, it won't buy, it won't sit well with the folks. You know, the same way people go, you know, if you're fatter, you're ugly, you shouldn't be on TV. You know, people think like this. None of those barriers stopped him. He's an inspiration to me anyway, and I hope to many other people, even if you disagreed with him 100% of the time, to show you there really is no limit in life. There is no limit but what you accept for yourself. He could have accepted many, many years ago in the 70s that I'm just going to be in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. There's only certain things I can do and accepted that, accepted what the society said of him. But he did not. He said, no, I'm going to break those stereotypes. And he did. And the world was a better place for having you in it. So rest in peace, my friend. I want to talk to you about rule of law because Laura Bush said something this week that we have to have a conversation about, an honest conversation about. Some people have picked up on this. Laura Bush said... You cannot have zero tolerance on law. You cannot have you cannot have a zero tolerance law policy that you know there you know has to be different circumstances. I want to talk to you about that because this is a conversation we need to have in America, in Ireland, and the rest of the world everywhere. This is a conversation that has to be had, but it has to be had without agendas, without feelings, and purely based on principles. When you have a law Should it be zero tolerance on that law? Or should there be some scope for maneuver? And if so, how much scope? Is there there human error allowed? And what I want to do is I want to take the most extreme example for you to show you why, in effect, I think you do need zero tolerance on law. Zero tolerance. There is no room for human interpretation. There's no room for, hey, I read this law this way, and I'm going to enforce it this way. Or I'm going to let these people go, but I'm going to enforce it against these people. I want you to imagine the most ridiculous law you can find. You know, the one that everyone probably breaks every day. It doesn't hurt anyone per se, right? And I want you to think of the most severe punishment that you can. But not death, like, you know, I don't know, maybe a thousand lashes. Let's just take an example. Speeding. Imagine you had a policy where, you know, speeding was a thousand lashes. Should you be allowed to take into it, you know, should it be just a thousand lashes or should you be able to go, well, look, I caught someone doing 72 in a, sorry, you don't have 70 time, not in Arizona. You have 65, right? I caught someone doing 67 in a 65 mile in Arizona. Should they get the same punishment as someone getting caught doing 90 in a 65? Well, it's not fair, right? It's not, you can't have that. You know, you, they, you know, surely the person who was doing 90 in a 65 mile in their zone should get more punishment than the person who did 67. 
If it's not written out, the law should be zero tolerance. But how do you change laws? Because what you're seeing right now is, well, we shouldn't have zero tolerance on laws. We should, you know, be open to interpretation. Effectively saying, justice is not blind. Justice is not the same for everyone. It depends on who you guess. So if you have someone who's more tolerant and more, you know, open to negotiations, you'll have a better chance of getting off. But if you get someone who's really strict and a real hard liner, you won't. You'll, they'll throw the book at you. Should justice be blind? Should it matter who you get? Should it be a one-size-fits-all? Hey, if you get a nice cop and a you know and a and a just a real strict cop, the the punishment should be the same. What we have in society right now is we are making more and more up to humans, and more up and more to open to people's interpretation and how they are feeling. What frustrates me is from a legal point of view is you can't legislate for that. You can't legislate on, you know, well, what's the personality of this law enforcement officer and this law enforcement officer? And what are their, you know, prejudices, either positive or negative against this set of people or that set of people? If you truly find, let's say, and it wouldn't be, a, it'd be a horrific time to live in. Imagine if you got caught speeding, you, got th- you, had to, you were taken out of your car and lashed a thousand times or a hundred times. That'd be horrific. The punishment doesn't fit the, the crime. But let's say that was the policy on the books. How do you change it? Because right now what people are asking people to do in Congress is just ignore the rules. Just ignore them. Just don't enforce them. How can that have any respect in 2018? Especially when you have things like the internet and social media where it is easier than ever before to share an argument, to get a movement, Hashtag me too. Hashtag all the hashtags you see. I'm really bad at hashtags. But you have all the hashtags. MAGA. America first. All these hashtags. What I learned today. How about we actually have some honesty and go, you know what? I'm for zero tolerance on the law. But there are laws on the books I don't like. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to make the best argument I can and try and get people to see the world the way I see it and make the best argument I can to as many people as possible in the hope of changing the law. Which is the best course within law that's wrong or unjust or unfair or not the right scope? Is it just to ignore it or is it to change the law and change the statutes on the books? When you have zero pot law, when you have zero tolerance or when you don't have zero tolerance in this case, Everything's open to interpretation. Everything's open to interpretation. I would ask you just to think about how you would feel. Because people would say, well, what's the big problem? How would you feel? Imagine, would you feel bitter in this if this scenario happened to you? Me and, me and you, you as the listener, and we do the exact same crime. But we get caught by different law enforcement officers. We get arrested at different times. We're in the same state, so the same state laws apply. And that we get prosecuted by different attorneys in the in the criminal justice system. And we obviously have different lawyers. 
But yet our punishments, even though the crime was the exact same down to the time of day, the time of location, the exact severity of the crime was the exact same. Yet I got a lesser sentence than you. How would you feel? Would you feel it grieved? Would you be pointing out, would you think your lawyer would be pointing out, hey, that Irish guy, that Jonathan Dunn, he got a less, he got half the time I got. We did the exact same crime at the exact same time in the exact same place with the exact same severity. He gets half the time. Why am I serving more time than him? Or more punishment? Why is my fine bigger than his? It was down to potluck of what law enforcement was. It was down to, well, we don't have a zero tolerance policy on the law. It's open to interpretation. And it was he they had a you they had a different prosecutor than you. Do you think that would fly? Do you think you'd be aggrieved? The frustrating thing for me is so many times, if I may be blunt, as a society, we are taking the lazy and easy option out, especially something like law. Law is something that has the potential to be amazing. It has the potential to be the moral arbiter of, you know, making sure everyone is safe and secure. To do working towards a more just world where no one can be stole, you know, things like you can't steal from someone else. It's a great law. However, we don't. We just seek to just ignore them or downplay them. We don't actually want to go through the hard work of removing statutes or changing statutes. Look at the, and I, this is on all sides, look at the left. The gun control arguments that you see all the time. I would have much more respect, I will fundamentally 100% disagree with them and oppose them. But I would have fundamentally respect for people who are going, you know what? You don't need a gun. You don't need a gun. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go make the best argument to society and say you don't need a gun and try through the constitution and repeal the second amendment. Now there are some people who have hinted that this is the motive, like John Paul Stevens. But I would actually respect that person a lot more if they went that's the process we're going to go through. Whether that's through Congress to do a constitutional amendment through Congress or through the states where we're just going to we're just going to say flat out repeal of the second amendment. There is no right to bear arms. No one has that right. That Police officers and, you know, law enforcement are the first responders. You're not. You do not have a right to own a gun. I would respect it. I would be 100% opposed to it, but at least they're going through the process, the complicated, hard process of amending the Constitution to get their will. What you've seen from the gun control crowd and from people like Barack Obama and the Democrats is they don't want to do that. That takes too much work. They bring in all these laws. You can't have this. You can't have a bump stock. Make it harder for um, people to, you know, create, uh, make and manufacture manu- manu- munitions. I would ask you just to take think about this. What world do you want to live in? Do you want to live in a world with zero tolerance policy? Or do you want to live in a world where man can decide and interpret the laws? Because trust me, if you choose man's law be very careful what you wish for it might seem like the best the most normal course but it has some dire consequences because you start stretching law you start ignoring laws congress has no role the executive has no role it doesn't matter whether you sign a law it matters whether you enforce it or not 
Just something to think about this weekend. When we come back, I want to ask you some tough questions about where you stand on some issues, regardless of who holds power. Don't go anywhere, America. We'll be right back. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc. You hear that one? Yes. Did you hear what it was? Controlling the narrative. What boys. haven't we seen? Well, we've only seen boys. We have only seen young migrant boys in those shelters. Yes. What is that over her shoulder? Uh, is I that don't a know. picture of a little girl over her right shoulder? Do not tell is me. Is a picture I think is a little girl on the border. The morning blaze. Weekday morning, 6 to 9 Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Freedom's Disciple On Demand On the Blaze Radio Network Thank you so much for sticking with me, America As every, as always, this show is released at 12 noon Eastern Every Saturday On all major platforms SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Play Music, Stitcher, OmniFM All the places that, you know, muse, our music and podcasts and shows are kept I would ask if you if you listen on places like Stitcher or iTunes If you could leave us a review, we'd really appreciate it I want to finish up today's show by firstly saluting Donald Trump. You know, I'm not here to salute or to cheerlead for Donald Trump regardless or say he should be elected in 2020. That's the American people's job. My job is to call balls and strikes. When Donald Trump, like Barack Obama, like the next president, like George Bush, regardless of who holds power, when you do good things that I I agree with that are constitutional that I think are for the gooder of America, I'll salute you. I'm not an ide- I'm I am an ideologue, but I'm not I'm not a never Trumper or I'm not loyal to Trump. I'm balls and strikes kind of guy. I'm here to call it as I see it. This week the Donald Trump administration with probably arguably in my opinion with General Mattis, the MVP of the administration, Nikki Haley, pulled out of the Human Rights Council in the United Nations. I I think this is an amazing move, and I will give Donald Trump credit where it's due, because it's due here, because I don't think anyone else had the balls to do this. The UN is a joke. When you look at the scorecard in the United Nations, and we're going to maybe talk about this next week with foreign policy, on the amount of human rights violations it has written against Israel, it's like in the 60s. And the second place is Syria with 15. Now, even if you don't like Israel, even if you think Israel is the great Satan, you need your head examined if you think Israel is worse on human rights than places like Iraq, than Syria, than China, which has zero human rights violations, than Russia, which has human zero human rights violations. Maybe we're going to maybe talk about this week, but I didn't want to let this week go without saluting Donald Trump and his administration and Nikki Haley. Great job. Great job. And for those who think this is, oh my God, we're, America's pulling out the world. No, it's just not putting up a bull crap anymore. You want to talk about human rights? 
violations. Maybe don't have a policy of having China sit on that council. Maybe let's not have a policy of Russia sitting on that council. I'm open for conversations about human rights. But I'm not open to a country that treats its citizens like second-class citizens talking to me about America and how great America is and how bad America is and how bad Israel is. So good for you, Mr. President. Good for you. And good for you, Nikki Haley. Great job. I want to finish up today's show by asking people one of the most... There's two issues that happened this week that I, I don't know how to respond to. And I, I don't know why we are playing musical chairs in this. I just, I'm, maybe, maybe I'll do this. I'm asking for a friend. You know, wink, wink. I'm asking for a friend. I need some advice. Where do we stand on these issues? Two issues. First of all, executive orders. Are executive orders good or are they bad? If we can avoid executive orders, should we or should we just, you know, have them anyway? Because... I was there with the Tea Party and with conservatives when they went crazy every time Barack Obama wrote another executive order. I got that. It was like, it's unconstitutional. That's not the way the presidency is supposed to work. You have a legislator who creates laws and you have an executive that signs laws and enforces laws. That is the way it's supposed to work. Yet, when this week... When Donald Trump came out and said, we can't, I think it was last week, said, you know, we can't solve what's happening on the border by executive order, and then this week did it anyway, the amount of people who cheered for that online, I'm like, hold on, are executive orders now cool? Are executive orders the way we solve issues? Is that the way you solve issues in America right now? Can we have some consistency? Are executive orders good or bad? Now, I get the whole, some executive orders are good, in the fact that the way you undo an executive order is by executive order. So, they're not all bad by defunct. Donald Trump has signed some good executive orders, where he has overturned Barack Obama's executive orders. I'm not saying they shouldn't be done. But as a general rule to solve problems, are executive orders good or bad? I'm asking for a friend. Wink, wink. Because I really want to know. I want to know because I want to be consistent on this issue. For me, they're bad. They're unconstitutional, the vast majority of them. And it's not how America's founders set up to govern. I know people don't like when I say this, but the founders' view of America was the presidency is nothing more than a figurehead. The presidency has no power. The greatness of America been set up was the presidency signs laws, but does very little. Congress has 18 clauses of power, and everything else is left up to the states. But the president, the reason they call it a president was it was the lowest power term of the day of the 1700s. It didn't have a, a you know, it wasn't a title. They went, oh my God, that's a president. That's a great title. It was more like, eh, president, commoner, worker, just low, low power. That's why all the power is with Congress, not the presidency. Second issue, and this one is potentially even more upsetting to me. What's the position on being consistent on taxes? Are taxes good or are taxes bad? 
Is making the American people keep more of their money and allowing them to keep more of their money a good thing or a bad thing? I'm asking because, again, I'm asking for a friend, wink, wink. There was a big case in the Supreme Court this week. And the Donald Trump tweeted on the result on Thursday evening. Big Supreme Court win on internet sales tax today. About time. Big victory for fairness and for our country. Great victory for consumers and retailers. And it just so happens, like, some of the comments underneath that tweet, there was someone who was called Jacob Wall. President Trump is 100% right when it comes to economics. Now flunky Bezos is going to be forced to pay his damn taxes. So, again, question asking for my friend. Are taxes good or bad? Are taxes what we want? Is it? Is the, uh, we the party of no taxation? Is the Republican Party and Conservatives going to be supporting more sales tax? By the way, I, it's frustrating for me because that the first tweet from that Jacob Wall, this internet sales tax has absolutely nothing to do with Jeff Bezos. I can guarantee you it ain't going to change one dime, one cent to his bottom line. What it will change is the amount you pay for stuff. We need to be consistent. Our credibility, as I said to you in the first segment, is critical. I am going to make a pledge to you today. I'm working on a few things behind the scenes that I just don't want to deliver to you till they're 100% right. I want to make the case for America in the most complete and best way I can. And I also want to make the case the best way I can for free market economics. Because I have seen Republicans change over the last 10 years. And if you want a spotlight of that, when George Bush in 2007 went on MSNBC and said, you know, I've got to destroy the free market to save the free market, when he was talking about all these bailouts, and destroying free market principles. What happens? A person named Rick Santilli went crazy in a stock exchange floor. A lot of people got on the phone together. And the Tea Party was born. Fast forward 10 years. And we now have tariffs. And we are now celebrating internet sales tax. We need to make the case for free market economics again. And I'm going to do the best I can. Because I truly believe in the power of the free market. I don't believe in abandoning free market principles because other people don't follow those principles. And I sure as hell don't believe in taking more of your hard-earned money. I believe in if you earn it, you have a right to the fruit of your labor. I do not believe in giving Congress and politicians more and more of your money. I believe it is yours. And over the coming weeks and months, I pledge to you, I'm going to do the best I can to make the most complete argument, and even if you disagree with me, to make and give you the argument for free market economics and why America, the idea, is exceptional. Because we live in times right now, and let me be blunt with you, We live in times that are really scary. 
there are times where if you want to be so negative, you could say this world, we're all going to die. We're all going to die. I could make that case. If you want me to do the show of we're all going to die show, trust me, I can do it. I, I, I would compete with Glenn Beck on catastrophe. I choose not to do it. Because Glenn is unbelievable. Maybe I couldn't compete with Glenn. Because Glenn's like, you don't have to worry about AI. It's ASI you got to worry about. And they're like, what's ASI? What's ASG? What's AGI? But I can tell you all the reasons why this world is screwed. I really can't. I try and do it in a different way. But here's the thing. I don't think our future is done. I don't see our future as bleak. We face major challenges. We have major issues coming up on us. With the economy, with terrorism, with rights, with freedoms, with liberty. But it's not like we're sitting in the dark kind of going, well, there's this storm coming and I don't know how to solve it. The answer is the same as it always has been. We have the roadmap. Your founders, I wish I could claim them as mine. I wish I could say, my founders, our founders, I haven't got that right. I'm not an American. You have that right. Your founders set a roadmap for all the answers. Personal freedom, maximum freedom, maximum responsibility, limited government, the right to pursue your happiness, the right to say, you can do what you want. The only limit you have in life is the one you set yourself. This was continued in Emma Lazarus' poem. Give me your tired, your weak, and your huddled masses yearning to be free. That was a slam on the rest of the world saying, where you all have your class systems and you judge people by not the content of their character, but on a load of different things, where you say those people can't in society, give me those. I will give them opportunities and they will be prospered. They will have the right to pursue their happiness. We can look at the world and say, we're done, it's over, we're bleak, we have no hope. But that's not true. We have all the hope. We have the roadmap. The set situation of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and the original argument for nature's law. If we follow them, America can be exceptional again and can be the beacon of hope for the world again. And we can have issue a new wave of freedom throughout the world. That is what my focus is on. The question isn't if we have hope. The question is not whether can we do it. The question is, will we? Will we be like every other generation that has been, has been born and bred and lived in America? where they were willing to make sacrifices to make the world a better place? Were they, were they willing to do the hard work? Were they willing to step up? Every generation of Americans to this day, since your founding, the answer has been an overwhelming yes. Will there be some people who won't? Yes, there always will be. But historically, as a group, as a nation, you have always said, yes, we will rise to meet the challenges. I believe you will do again, and I will do everything, even though I'm not an American and I have no right to say it. I will be there with you. I will link arms with you. I will be your biggest cheerleader. Because it's not about left, right, Republicans, Democrats, liberals, conservatives. It's about freedom. It's about nature's law. And it's about letting people pursue their own happiness. 
Until next week, I hope this show has given you something to think about. As always, we finish this show the way we finish each and every show we do on The Blaze, the exact same way, to remind you that there are heroes in our society. They live and walk amongst us. They have paid the ultimate sacrifice, some of them. We salute your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel, your veterans, every man and woman who stood up for freedom, who works for it 24-7. And lastly, I share the sentiments of Alexis de Tocqueville. America is great because Americans are good. That's each and every one of you. You're not great because of Trump or because of Obama or because of Congress or because of the Supreme Court. You're great because you do good things. Until next week, it's 12 noon on Saturday on The Blaze. Have a beautiful and blessed week. God bless America. Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on demand. The Blaze Radio Network. 